The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, mental health concerns for children as the pandemic goes on, the seven things we can be doing to beat COVID-19 and save the economy, how our changed behavior has confused the algorithms, why humans freak out when they get lost, and a new interactive Netflix special to enjoy while you stay home this weekend. Starting today with a check-in on numbers. As we approach 1.4 million cases in the U.S. worldwide, the death toll is expected to hit 300,000 in a matter of days. Almost 3 million people filed for unemployment claims in the U.S. last week, bringing the eight-week total to 36 million. As concerns mount over the possibly COVID-related inflammatory syndrome that we're seeing in children, there are also worries about other illnesses striking children during lockdown. According to the UN, they are predominantly preventable illnesses that progress as children are unable to receive care at overrun hospitals, and also a spike in mental illness, caused in part by the isolation from friends and school. Increased rates of depression and anxiety in children have been reported in several countries, and the World Health Organization warned in a report today that mental illness is expected to surge in severe ways across the board due to the, quote, isolation, the fear, the uncertainty, the economic turmoil, but that those particularly at risk are children and healthcare workers. Mumbai is now responsible for 20% of all coronavirus infections in India, as the densely populated city of 20 million balances one of the world's strictest stay-at-home orders with warming spring temperatures topping 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Doubly concerning is that testing has been relatively sparse in India, leading many to believe that the true number of cases might be much higher. Dozens of people died in Mexico over the weekend as lockdown-related bans on alcohol led to an influx of black market drinks, many of which were tainted with methanol. Meanwhile, Wisconsin's bars were crowded with people Wednesday night after the state's Supreme Court overruled the stay-at-home order. CVS is opening over 50 testing sites in Arizona, Connecticut, Florida, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania. The sites will be drive-through sites at the pharmacy windows, where people who registered online beforehand will be given self-swab testing kits. By the end of the month, CVS plans to have 1,000 such sites set up around the country. 
And Dr. Rick Bright, the former head of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, warned Congress this morning that, quote, the window is closing to have a standard, centralized, coordinated plan, and that if we fail to act swiftly enough, we might face, quote, the darkest winter in modern history. On the topic of avoiding that darkest winter in modern history, Vox spoke to a number of experts to synthesize the seven main things we can be doing here in the U.S. to beat COVID-19 and save the economy. Number one, masks. Quote, a study by a team of five researchers out of Hong Kong and several European universities calculates that if 80% of a population can be persuaded to don masks, that would cut transmission levels to one-twelfth of what you'd have in a maskless society, end quote. And an interdisciplinary Yale research team found, quote, the benefits of each additional cloth mask worn by the public are conservatively in the $3,000 to $6,000 range due to their impact in slowing the spread of the virus, end quote. So it's good for public health and good for the economy. The only problem? We still have a shortage of masks in this country. To help, Caleb Watney from the R Street Institute and Alex Stopp from the Progressive Policy Institute suggests that the federal government pay above the pre-crisis market rate to give business owners confidence to invest. And if we don't end up needing as many as we produce, they can be stockpiled for a future health crisis or donated to a lower-income country. Number two, accelerate vaccine development. A number of epidemiologists and vaccine specialists have begun advocating for human challenge trials in which volunteers are intentionally and consensually exposed to the virus instead of waiting for them to maybe be naturally exposed as usually happens in vaccine trials. Human challenge trials could speed up development of a successful vaccine by months to years, but there is still the issue of manufacturing. Bill Gates and others are calling on vaccines to start being produced before we know if they're safe or effective. That way, the one that does work will be ready to go as soon as possible, even if that means wasting a ton of money on vaccines that can't be used. Number three, testing, testing, testing. In addition to just generally increasing the country's testing capacity, we can also be using it in smarter ways. Economist Paul Romer suggests prioritizing not people who are experiencing symptoms, they should just assume they have it and self-isolate, but rather testing people more likely to spread the virus. People who still have to go out of their homes for work and interact with other people they could be spreading it to. And those individuals experiencing symptoms need another kind of test that we should be expanding access to, a pulse oximeter to monitor their blood oxygen levels and alert them if they need to go to the hospital. Number four, contact tracing, specifically hiring more people to conduct contact tracing. Officials have said that we need between 100 to 300,000 people doing human contact tracing. That is not just relying on digital tools, but actually having people call up the contacts of anyone who tests positive. And while that is a ton of people, there's also a ton more people who have just recently lost their jobs and are looking for work. It's not always feasible to do in the middle of an extreme outbreak, but as the outbreaks slow, it can help prevent more in the future. Number five, halting household spread. As we're starting to hear more and more, people are getting sick at home, specifically from roommates or family members they live with after one person brings the virus into the house. Suggestions like confining the ill person to one room aren't always possible, or even faultless when they are. 
like many Asian nations have successfully done, if we really want to stop household spread, we need to consider facilities for people to isolate in outside of the home. Number six, let people go outside. As we discussed yesterday, you are far more likely to catch the virus indoors rather than out, quoting Vox. Outdoor air is not magic, and it is possible to inhale droplets from another person's mouth outside, but the evidence seems to indicate that outdoor transmission is not, in practice, a huge problem. A study of more than 1,000 confirmed COVID-19 cases in other Chinese cities could only document one case of outdoor transmission, end quote. Allowing people to go to parks and other outdoor spaces with appropriate social distancing in place is good for physical health and also good psychologically. It's a safe bit of leeway that can be given so that people are more likely to follow lockdown measures instead of rebelling against them. And finally, number seven, which can really be applied to all of the above, is to spend the money. Vox notes that leading economists agree spending more money to keep individuals, businesses, and state and local governments afloat will be better for the economy in the long term. Quoting Vox, The interest rate the federal government pays on its bonds is less than the expected rate of inflation. This means that even as debt reaches eye-popping levels, it's actually relatively affordable for the government to go deeper into debt. And there's little reason to let financial concerns, per se, stop the country from doing what's right for public health. End quote. It turns out that our changed behavior during the last few months of the pandemic is confusing artificial intelligence models. Algorithms for marketing, fraud detection, inventory management, and more are experiencing blips in functioning and in some cases no longer working as they try to learn and keep up with our unpredictable new browsing and shopping habits. Quoting the MIT Technology Review, Machine learning models are designed to respond to changes, but most are also fragile. They perform badly when input data differs too much from the data they were trained on. It's a mistake to assume you can set up an AI system and walk away, says Rajiv Sharma, global vice president at Pactera Edge. AI is a living, breathing engine. Sharma has been talking to several companies struggling with wayward AI. One company that supplies sauces and condiments to retailers in India needed help fixing its automated inventory management system when bulk orders broke its predictive algorithms. The system's sales forecasts that the company relied on to reorder stock no longer matched up with what it was actually selling. It was never trained on a spike like this, so the system was out of whack, says Sharma. Another firm uses an AI to assess the sentiment of news articles and provides daily investment recommendations based on the results. But with the news at the moment being gloomier than usual, the advice was going to be very skewed, says Sharma, end quote. A key factor here is that a lot of companies will buy machine learning systems, but not have anyone in-house who knows how to maintain them. And as Sharma said, they often require that human touch, especially when unexpected trends occur. Sharma has an interesting suggestion, though. He says that AIs should be trained on unusual moments in history, like the Great Depression or 2007 financial crisis, so they understand what to do in these situations. And while that could help, you can't prepare for everything. Frazy, a London-based AI company that generates email marketing and ad copy using natural language processing and machine learning, is used to having humans double-check its work since natural language generation can so easily go wrong. But they've had to implement a lot more safeguards than usual to strike the right tone for the moment. Quoting again, The company has banned specific phrases, such as going viral, and doesn't allow language that refers to discouraged activities, such as party wear. 
It has even culled emojis that might be read as too happy or too alarming, and it's also dropped terms that may stoke anxiety like OMG, be prepared, stock up, and brace yourself, end quote. And companies like Amazon are also tweaking their algorithms to offset the workload on their employees. While Amazon usually displays products it fulfills orders for itself as the top search results, it's switched to often displaying products from sellers who fulfill their own orders to ease the strain on their warehouses. But, quote, the tweaks Amazon makes to its algorithms then have knock-on effects on the algorithms that sellers use to decide what to spend on online advertising. Every time a web page with ads loads, a super-fast auction takes place, where automated bidders decide between themselves who gets to fill each ad box. The amount these algorithms decide to spend for an ad depends on a myriad of variables, but ultimately, the decision is based on an estimate of how much you, the eyeballs on the page, are worth to them. There are a lot of ways to predict customer behavior, including not only data about your past purchases, but also the pigeonhole that ad companies have placed you in on the basis of your online activity. But now, one of the best predictors of whether someone who clicks on an ad will buy your product is how long you say it will take to deliver it, says Ray Al Klein, CEO of Nozzle, a London-based consultancy specializing in algorithmic advertising for Amazon sellers, end quote. Klein also noted, quote, The situation is so volatile. You're trying to optimize for toilet paper last week, and this week everyone wants to buy puzzles or gym equipment, end quote. Overall, Klein and Sharma say this is a wake-up call to a lot of businesses that you can't just turn on an algorithm and let it go. You need a data science team checking in on it and interpreting the fluctuations of our human world for it. But, you know, I guess it is good to know that we humans still wield some power over the machines. If you're looking for something to watch this weekend, Netflix recently launched their latest interactive show with a special episode of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Netflix has done a few of these choose-your-own-adventure-style shows before, most notably with the Black Mirror episode Bandersnatch, but also for a Bear Grylls special and a number of kids' shows, including Carmen Sandiego. The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is the first time that they've tried it with an adult comedy. The special is completely separate from the storylines of the show that wrapped up after four seasons last year, so you don't need to have watched the whole series to enjoy this special. So, for the uninitiated, Kimmy Schmidt, played by Ellie Kemper, lived underground in a cult for most of her life before escaping to learn about the modern world in New York City with the help of a crew of eccentric friends. The show was created by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, and this particular episode also guest stars Daniel Radcliffe as a royal prince. Unlike Black Mirror's interactive episode, Kimmy Schmidt's take on it leans more into steering audiences towards the right choice to keep the plot going towards the ultimate conclusion. But it's still entertaining when you make the wrong choice, either by things going completely haywire, or you end up getting a game over screen with one of the actors comically telling you why your choice was so wrong. It's worth a watch if you're a Kimmy Schmidt fan, or if you're generally interested in the development of this interactive TV viewing trend. I feel like Netflix isn't quite there yet, but it is really fascinating to watch it develop. Especially as movie theater closures recently are making us all think even more about how we might innovate with streaming TV and film. This choose-your-own-adventure experience might end up being like 3D movies perennially popping up as a trend but never really being overly transformative, or maybe it'll somehow revolutionize how we watch TV. 
Whatever happens, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is there for you now for your stay-at-home weekend viewing. And finally today, unless you're lucky enough to live near a hiking trail that's still open and doesn't have too many people crowding it, you're probably not going out on any adventures right now that could lead to you getting lost. But if you've ever been lost before, truly lost somewhere, you know it's a terrifying feeling. In fact, our fear of it is pretty much hardwired into our brains because we know on an evolutionary level that it rarely leads to good outcomes. And the fear of being lost is pervasive throughout culture, from classic tales to the Blair Witch Project. But why are we so scared of being lost? And why do we seem to lose our reason so much when we are? Writer Michael Bond explores these questions in his new book, From Here to There, The Art and Science of Finding and Losing Our Way, which just came out on Tuesday and was excerpted in Wired, and he has some pretty fascinating insights I wanted to share. So when people get lost, one of the curious things is that we tend to move around to keep trying to find our way back to safety when really, experts have said for centuries that the best method is to stay still. A desert explorer in the early 1900s, Ralph Bagnold, remembered being struck by a strange, powerful impulse to keep driving when he got lost in the western desert in Egypt. He said of the experience later, quote, This psychological effect has been the cause of nearly every desert disaster of recent years. If one can stay still even for half an hour and have a meal or smoke a pipe, reason returns to work out the problem of location, end quote. What's interesting, too, is that we don't just move around in one direction. People inevitably end up going in circles. It's not just an overdone trope from stories. Even military experts and scientists who are well aware of this phenomenon have found themselves walking in circles when they've become lost. Quoting again, Circling happens where there are no prominent landmarks, a cell phone mast or a tall tree, for example, or spatial boundaries, a fence or a line of hills, and where all the vistas look similar. Without a fixed reference point, we can drift. A view of the sun or the moon can help keep us grounded, though the sun is a dangerous guide if you're not aware of how it moves across the sky. One popular theory blames body asymmetry. We all have one leg longer than the other, which can cause us to veer. But this doesn't explain why some people veer both ways depending on where they are. End quote. In an experiment conducted in 2009 tracking volunteers using GPS monitors as they attempted to walk in a straight line through the Sahara Desert and Germany's Bienwald Forest, not a single volunteer managed to do so, at least not when the sun wasn't visible. Quote, Errors quickly accumulated, small deviations became large ones, and they ended up walking in circles. The study concluded that with no external cues to help them, people will not travel more than 100 meters from their starting position, regardless of how long they walk for, end quote. Apart from circling, people lose their sense of reason and reality in multiple ways. Their thinking becomes segmented, frantic, sometimes even delusional. Often when people are found, they have trouble remembering much of what happened while they were lost. Quote, lost is a cognitive state. Your internal map has become detached from the external world, and nothing in your spatial memory matches what you see. But at its core, it's an emotional state. It delivers a psychic double whammy. Not only are you stricken with fear, you also lose your ability to reason. You suffer what neuroscientist Joseph Ledoux calls a hostile takeover of consciousness by emotion. It's essentially a panic attack. If you're lost out in the woods, there's a chance you will die. That's pretty real. You feel like you're separating from reality. 
Stories of people walking trance-like past search parties or running off and having to be chased down and tackled are a part of search and rescue lore, end quote. Charles Morgan, a forensic psychiatrist at the University of New Haven in Connecticut, says this is akin to how most of us behave when we're highly anxious. He calls it seeing the trees rather than the forest. Thinking about how our behavior when lost relates to times when, as Morgan says, we're feeling highly anxious makes me think about how many of us may be feeling a little lost emotionally right now, even while we're physically in one place. One place that's hopefully reassuring, at least in its familiarity. Quoting once more from the excerpt, which again is from the new book, From Here to There, The Art and Science of Finding and Losing Our Way by Michael Bond, what does our powerful response to being lost tell us about our relationship with space? For one thing, it shows us how important it is for us to be grounded in the physical reality and to have a sense of place. However much time we spend in our digital worlds, we still need to know where we are. Where we are has a big impact on how we feel. Places can frighten and excite us and make us feel safe. Cognitive maps are atlases of feelings as much as geometry. That's all we've got for you today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.